I am ready. Yep, ready. Yep, I'm ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> Fuck it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. This week, it's Donnie Darko. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. I'm Joel. And I'm Austin. And just like Donnie Darko, you can never go too far with us. That's the tagline for Donnie Darko. <laughs> okay, maybe you can't go too far. That's the tagline for Donnie Darko. Obviously, it's just not funny. Okay, I get it, guys. It's not funny. All right, let's move on. Okay, if you've never heard this show before, basically, we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. But there's also a whole host of other hilarious shenanigans, including a terrible impression, some biffy xylophone playing, a caption contest, a quiz, and a whole host of banter. So please do stick around. Also, just to say, that this episode is particularly spoilerific. So, if you've never seen Donnie Darko before, seriously, where have you been? It's been about 17 years since it came out. Come on, guys. Uh, just to say that last week we put Prometheus on trial. I was the judge and I deemed that it should be placed on the shit list. Well, I've since gone back and rewatched Prometheus since making my decision and I couldn't agree with my decision more because <laughs> if you do say so I, if I do say so myself <laughs> I, I, I think what it was for me is because I was watching it for estimated maybe the fifth time of, of, of viewing wow. and I was just incredibly annoyed throughout you, the entire thing do you hate it more like the fifth time or hate it more the first time I think around the third time it started becoming funny and now it's back to hating it again right, okay. uh, I, I, I think I agree with what I, I guessed last week in that it's got a really great idea. I think it's beautifully filmed. And I just think the story is a bit of a muddled mess. I think, you know, maybe if he would have had a little bit longer to work on the script or he would have, you know, stuck to his guns and decided, yeah, this is going to be an alien prequel, then it could have come off a bit better. But for the time being, I'm quite happy that I placed it on the right list. And if you disagree, well, screw you. Anyway, before we move on to the bulk of the show, I think it's time for a little bit of... News. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Every week, every week, <laughs> multiple times per week. Very good. Very good. You like man. that? You like that? It would have been nice if you'd done it right. Yeah. All right. All right. Not bad. <laughs> right, listen, anyway, I, I, I've, I've made a revelation. The keyboard app that I've been using for how long now? How, how long do you reckon I've been using yeah. this? Yeah, a while yeah. now. Well, a while. Uh, I've just noticed that there is a magnifying button on it and that I can actually increase the size of the keys. <laughs> so every week I've been complaining that the keys are too small and my fingers are too big. Uh, it just, you know, if I just would have spent a little bit longer examining I, the app. I, th- I think it's the pressure that gets to you, to be honest. I, I, are you, are you I, saying you're never going to make any more mistakes now? Yes. Good, good. <laughs> no more mistakes ever. I mean, unless the sun goes in my eyes or unless I've been up the night before. You know, it's, yeah, it's a lot of variables, to be honest. Anyway, so what we do here is we all go around in a circle and we discuss the most noteworthy or newsworthy topics of the week. So without further hesitation, Joel, it's your piece of news. So we're getting a Child's Play remake. It is basically from the producers of It. Producers obviously means next to nothing because producers basically just hire out everybody else who does all the other jobs. So it could still end up terrible, but you know, it was the it remake, sorry, was absolutely fantastic. I don't think there were many people 
who were disappointed in that. But Child's Play was definitely one of them series for me, which I just never saw kind of the popularity. I think it was one of them things kind of back in the day when uh, CGI and all that wasn't, you know, kind of at the at the level it is now that it was super scary having like a little kind of child running around with a knife and stuff. But it, it just it, it just wasn't scary for me. And I am somebody who gets scared by uh, even medium level noises. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'll wait and see what happens with it. Um, Do you think it could work? It could work. But, <laughs> but bear in mind, you saw the original when you were about your mid-twenties, I imagine. So obviously yeah. it's not going to be scary because there have been advances in you know storytelling in cgi making things a little bit more realistic and child's play was played for laughs quite yeah. a lot of the time I, I yeah i think i think it was it was quite an achievement in practical effects as well to be honest and as dave said i think it is a little bit tongue-in-cheek but it would be interesting to see what they do with today's technology does anyone know if brad Dourif is coming back for this one or if he isn't, then well, is he, definitely is he, not going to watch He's the voice. original voice of Chucky, yeah. He's got, he's got to, hasn't he? If, if, if you can't get Brad Dourif, don't even try. I, I agree with you, Joel. Like, I'm not excited by the same producers. If it was same director or same screenwriter or something, then yeah, but producers doesn't... Nah, not quite me excited. Yeah, because yeah, let's all remember that Michael Bay produced both the Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street remakes, and they were shy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Michael Bay, right? Yeah, it's it's about in keeping with Michael Bay's standards. <laughs> I don't know if what Transformers was all right. <laughs> but why, why, why would you make me angry? Why would you make me angry just before I'm about to defend something? Anyway, thanks, thanks for nothing. Been really chill up until this point. Anyway, right, so moving on, our second piece of news for the week is that uh, there's been news that they've had to go back and reshoot the last quarter of The Predator because Shane Black wanted to include more references to previous Predator films. So how do you guys feel about that? I know, Dave, you are a big fan of the original one. And how are you feeling about the the I'm I'm all for more references. You know, I I think it's not necessarily a reboot, is it? It's just a continuation. Predator is one of those things. It's like you don't need to reboot it. You can just carry it on indefinitely. (laughs) That terrifying word in Hollywood, this could go on indefinitely. Just for me, who's, uh, who's Shane Black? So he is the director and writer of Lethal Weapon. Um, his last what's, big... it, what's his thing in, in Predator? Who is he in Predator? Uh, so he, was, he, was, he starred in the original Predator and he played Hawkins, uh, the guy with the glasses, the comedian, yeah. who was the first to what? die. And what's he doing in this, though? Is he he uh, has music? written and directed it. Okay, so why didn't he just enjoy more of the original Predator when he first re- yeah, wrote what, it and why is he reshooting it? It, it sounds well, like he's gone back to it after a while after taking it a step back oh, and he's kind decided. of thought actually you know what I want to do it's like this that, isn't clear that's, that's an extremely not... expensive thing if you're just doing it because yeah. you fancy more references and a few more jokes mm. in it it seems like it'd be a bit more but Predator is such a cult yeah. phenomenon yeah. it's a real cult film as well, no 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 it's, 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 it's very very respected director to be honest but very rarely has that ever worked as well as it let's be honest like reshooting bits and it just reminds me of the whole Superman Superman man uh, moustache yeah. uh, scenario which <laughs> ob- obviously didn't didn't end up well but i was thinking about predator the other day and i think for me like what made the first one so great obviously was the setting and how kind of claustrophobic it was there was no like escape yeah. or anything like that and it, it just surprises me that they've never done that again where, where well, i think it's one? one of those things you don't want to repeat it because the first one was so iconic that you'd just be kind of retelling the first story wouldn't you that's why with predator 2 they tried to change up the setting mm-hmm. and i think they did try and explore that a little bit with predators the robert rodriguez predators, one yeah. predators <laughs> <Robert Barf. laughs> 
Um, but it didn't have the same feel because that was trying to be claustrophobic because, hey, not we're only we're on in a, a jungle, but we're on a planet. So, so, so where's this one set? This uh, one's in set in there. Yeah. In, Scarborough. in Scarborough, Scarborough. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is set. It is set on Earth. I couldn't tell you where though. But the cast looks great. My thinking is that maybe he's going back to include references to the original because maybe they've got a cameo. Maybe the uh, Danny Glover or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Somebody. I hope so. But they've got they've got Jake Busey playing the son of the character of Jake of Gary Busey. His dad was in Predator Two, and Jake Busey is playing the son of his character now. I believe. So yeah. Which is a, yeah, that's a nice. That's a big nod to the previous films yeah. in the franchise, anyway. So, no, I mean, it's not like Jake Boosie's up to much, anyway, is it? Like, <laughs> that, that is he, 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 was, he picked up that phone quick. <laughs> he, he's, he's busier than Gary. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay, thank you very much for that, guys. Um, before we move on, can anybody smell that? What is wrong with me oh, today, wow. man? <laughs> Straight after saying Straight after about it, the magnified. Well, this this is a different app, mate. Come on, this oh, is a different app. Sure. It's just not working. It's just definitely not working. So any so not the rock theme. Why have I been spending weeks trawling away at this 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 app when we've got Brucey here? Yeah. Um so mine was about um this Fast and Furious spin off. So Idris Elba has uh has confirmed that he's gonna be in it, he's gonna be the baddie. Um Fantastic. In in this so I think that's quite a positive move for for a spin off of a a massive franchise that maybe none of us were that keen on a, you know, another Spin film to, to be for it. So, um, so he's he's signed up, and so has um, Vanessa Kirby uh, has signed up. So she's meant to be like the other. So is Hobbs and Shaw? Yeah, are the two characters. So she is one of the Shaws. Okay, she will be. Um, so <laughs> I'm very so, sorry. I misjudged the table. They just sound like I was so angry. So basically, there's only one. <laughs> so, yeah. so those two sort of signed signed on essentially the same. So she was in the Crown. Oh, oh yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. I knew yeah, I knew yeah. the name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think that sounds pretty positive. To I, be honest, I, I like Idris Elba in everything. Yeah, so. yeah. 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 The thing fantastic. is, I reckon like when the casting. For Fast and the Furious, like they probably rang Idris Elba and they went, "Do you want to be in Fast and Furious?" And he was probably like, "How much are you paying me?" <laughs> That's literally all then, that series is good for. Oh yeah, yeah, just, yeah incredible, yeah. pumping you know, up a lot of money. I think as well, if you're going to do a spin-off that's centered on Jason Statham and The Rock, two of the biggest action stars of the 21st century, essentially, you're going to have to pick a good villain, somebody you can match them. Not only for screen presence, but, can but he, though, for ability. Because those two are like very. The Rock's not a martial artist, but he, he knows how to fight. Idris Elba, for me, he hasn't got that physical presence. Yeah, Obviously, yeah, he, he's, he, he's, he's got. He, he does. And, and also, before. and also, he's an actor as well. Yeah, so, yeah. while the other two, are just I'm not convinced. Didn't you ever watch that I, I documentary where he learned presence. to be a kickboxer? Yeah, but yeah. like it's a different level. Like Jason Statham's like what a black belt. Yeah. Idris Elba just can throw a punch. No man, when he was in the wire, he was terrifying at yeah. string a bell like a drug dealer. Like mm. fucking terrifying. I, I would love you to say that to Idris Elba's face. Honestly, I fucking would have. I'd love him to come in and rip your hand off. Just beat you to death, I, I would love him as well because then he would be literally the strongest man alive <laughs> <laughs> right okay thank you very much for that Austin and um, before we move on to the trial Alex I think it's time for your segment I'd love to in this week's Bill <laughs> <laughs> Fields oh, that, that sound effect works great uh, <laughs> so my one this week is uh, I was thinking about a movie soundtrack that always like if an action movie soundtrack that sort of gets me pumped for me, it's uh, Gladiator. I just feel as soon as that music comes on, I get stirred. 
I'm ready for some really good action. Anyone else got a favourite? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even say it. <laughs> it's, just, it's just going around in our minds. Yeah. I know, it just sounds yeah, like Alex's ultimate <laughs> cosplay fantasy. Yeah. He's halfway through saying it like, is this going to end well? Oh. And it didn't. Uh, anyone, else, anyone else got a soundtrack they like uh, getting well, pumped Funnily to? enough, on the, on the Hans Zimmer line of thing, he did the Gladiator soundtrack. He also did the Navy SEALs theme from The Rock, oh, yeah. uh, the 1996 film with uh, Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. The film is is a guilty pleasure of mine. I adore it, but that the soundtrack and especially the Navy SEALs theme by uh, by Hans Zimmer mm. worth checking out. It's stirring, a great soundtrack. Stuff, really it? stirring stuff. Oh yeah. Suddenly getting really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. But I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> Anything else? It was a bit creepier than that, mate. It was like, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I think for me, uh, you can't go wrong with a bit of Carpenter, specifically yeah. mm. Escape from New York. That's just absolutely fantastic. But when we went and saw him live last year, yeah, that was great. Th- th- when he opens with that song, I think everybody had. A stonker in their pants. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, yeah, Dave. I, I've just done my. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> no, I'm just about confirm, you just want me to va- confirm the stonker. You just want me to validate that, yeah. That, to be honest with you, Gav's telling no lie there. <laughs> but I think also what we were just talking about before, The Predator. Um, I think the original Alan Silvestri soundtrack for Predator was absolutely incredible. He is a great composer, though, isn't he, Silvestri? And funnily enough, it's a bit of trivia. If you've ever watched, in my opinion, the underrated film Judgment Night, <laughs> Alan Silvestri <laughs> was um, brought in to be the um, to provide the music for that as well, and he totally phoned it in. He essentially just did the Predator soundtrack again. <laughs> there's, there's so many bits in it where it's just like, hang on, is this this theme song for the Predator? He's just kind of like lazily gone, yeah, that'll do. Well, a classic from uh, kind of my early teens would be uh, Mission Impossible, yeah. the soundtrack oh, the, to that. The Especially the Lunt Biscuit yeah. version, that'll yes. get you ready for action. <laughs> I'll see, I, I mean, have you seen many action films? Yeah, I've, I've seen loads of action films, I imagine. I just, they all roll into one. And I can't really think of anything that's really pumped me up, but, you know, just a, a classic is like, it's not really an action film, but, you know, like the Rocky theme. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Pump you up. It's a classic for a reason. Yeah, it's a good absolutely. Yeah. So that, I'd say that. That's, it's also that's good to play it like blaring out your car when you're running past joggers as yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> I, classic, classic move. Yeah. I, d- I reckon nothing gets you pumped up more than a Wes, Ant- Wes Anderson soundtrack. A little bit of T-Rex or something like that. It'll just do me, do me wonders. Oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah maybe like a French. Billy Elliot. <laughs> anyway, right. So thank you very much for that, Austin and Alex and everybody else. You know, what, I'll take the credit. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we are moving on to the bulk of the show. Uh, this is Films on Trail. We are doing Donnie Darko. Just to say, all of our films get pulled out of the hat at random, as do the roles. And in the role of the prosecution, prosecution this week, and trying to get the film condemned to the shit list, is going to be Alex. Hello, mm. Alex. Mm. It, okay. Uh, in the role of defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list is going to be my good self. In the roles of character witnesses are going to be Austin and... No, they're not. No, they're not. Oh, sorry. No, they're not. going to be Joel and Captain Dave, and they're basically just lending their genuine opinion to try and throw a little bit of weight behind either side of the argument. And then in the most important role of the show, we've got Austin, who's going to be playing the judge, and his role is to listen to both arguments and decide which list the film should be placed on based solely on the arguments put to them and not using his own opinion. So before we actually kick things off today, I think we should give the listeners a bit of an overview as to what this film is about and roll the Wheel of Impressions. 
Okay, so it's landed on Alex. Okay. Okay, so you are going to be reading out the synopsis to Donnie Darko, but I think, guys, we need to decide what accent Alex should be doing it in. Well, there's only one to pick, isn't there? The rabbit. The, the rabbit. Yeah. There's not really many accents to choose from, so I think, yeah, what's Frank, you, what's Frank's... What's name? Frank, okay, Frank, Frank, Frank the bunny. I'll Frank's do that. Frank's got the most distinctive voice, I think. Okay, ready? A troubled teenager is plagued by visions of a man in a large rabbit suit who manipulates him to commit a series of crimes after he narrowly escapes a bizarre accident. <laughs> Thanks. That was really good. That's pretty good. That was good. I've never been asked to do a, a made-up bunny before, so... <laughs> you wait till we do Friend Roger Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so without further hesitation, Austin, would you like to kick off proceedings, please? Yes, yes, I would. And, um... I don't know, maybe you should go straight for a prosecution and then let's see how it, how it goes from there. Yes, please. I'm raring you seem, to go. You seem very raring, so I am worried I'm that I'm letting myself in for by letting you go first. He's so. been listening to the Gladiator song on repeat all the time. <laughs> I am pumped. I am pumped. He's ready for action. Yes, right. Uh, okay, this, this is quite a difficult one for me because uh, I've never hated any film in my life more <laughs> in the same way that I really genuinely hate Donnie Darko. Uh, like I watched it when I was about 16 and I just felt a deep, incoherent rage all the way through it. So it's actually quite hard to kind of like, you know, clarify my thoughts and get them together to really come up with why this is so such a shit film. But I've watched it about 10 times and like <laughs> talked about it with people who swear by it since then. So I've come, I've come up with a few things. Basically, this film is about, you know, one, two, three tricks up its sleeve and nothing more. It's got this time limit, which it imposes on itself. It was 28 days and six hours. And, you know, that always helps to keep interest in the film. It's a very simple narrative trick. Uh, it's got a mystery that we expect to unravel, but we never do. And basically, it's got a good, a good bunny mask. And that is genuinely all this film has got, those three pretty superficial things. My main issue with this film is that it sets itself as being profound, but it's completely lacking in any insight whatsoever. Apart from those narrative tricks, that is literally it. it, it it's really hard to know where to start, but I think the best is to start with the characters because they are just completely paper thin. So we start with Donnie Darko, you know? He's a rich, wealthy kid from a happy family, right? And he's got these emotional problems, which you're told about, you know, multiple times. Donnie's got emotional problems. Why? It's just never explained. Like, why should we give a shit about his problems? Never explained. He's he's just weird. And there's no insight into his suburban life. It's not like this is The Graduate, where Dustin Hoffman's given a really good, you know, good performance and a good look into how hard it is maybe sometimes to live in a middle class uh, upbringing. No, he's just weird, and he just continues to be so, and he learns nothing throughout the entire story. There's awful interactions with his family, but there's no actual genuine trauma. There's no point to his emotional state. So there's no insight. Again, that you just, oh, he's weird, and he finds things hard, but there's no actual why. There's no sort of looking at things in a deeper level at all. You move on to Gretchen. Um, I've just got no clue who she is. Uh, She's just got a paper-thin backstory. And her first talk with Donnie is absolutely excruciating. They both immediately just tell each other their really simplistic past. That, like, he burned down a a place, literally, again, not explain why. And that she's got violent parents, which is the only kind of character point, really, in the entire film. You think, that'd be interesting to know a little bit more. Again, not explored at all. It's a completely astonishing exchange where they just tell each other everything. And totally unbelievable. And then they say pretty much nothing to each other for the rest of the film. It's all this kind of like, I want to say style over substance, but there's not even that much style. It's just, they sort of just go along, they have like these fairly weird interactions, but they don't actually say anything. And it's not because 
it's because like there's no good script it's because there's no good ideas it's all just form rather than any substance to it and the relationship is just simply not explored you know gretchen seems to get a bit pissed off as the film goes on again that's not explained it's not talked about uh going on to the bullies these stock characters you don't even know their names seth rogan i think possibly in his in his first i think um, yeah, yeah. appearance in a film they're just these completely stock bullies that could come from any film they're just superficially made to seem a little bit more because they do a bit of coke and they carry a blade they're just not explored i mean when they come out at the end they perform this sort of like plot point where they just have like tights on their heads uh, and they seem to have blades, and they come out of this woman's cellar. It's completely ridiculous. There's no reason for them to be doing that at all. And they're just not explained whatsoever. The worst character in this whole thing is the sort of the, the villain of the piece, uh, Jim Cunningham. Not played badly by Patrick Swayze. I'm not, I'm not having a go at the actors here. This film has a better cast than it deserves. I'm having a go at the characters that are just unbelievably awful. You know, the video that we see of Jim Cumming, C- Cunningham is that he's a bit of an arsehole. And the con- but actually, when he's talking about this fear and love thing, the content of his speeches and his videos seems like he is actually trying to help people. Whereas Donnie Darko is just this little misanthrope who doesn't actually offer anything, and no counterpoint. There's no actual reason that Donnie's saying, oh, no, you should live your life this way. You know, it seems like Patrick Swayze's character is kind of trying to do something quite sympathetic and i think richie kelly must have realized that his actual villain of the piece is quite sympathetic he can't explore it he can't actually he doesn't have any idea why patrick swayze's uh viewpoint is wrong or he can't even give donnie darko a, a counterpoint to say well this is how life should be lived and so what does he do to make uh, jim cunningham's character uh, unsympathetic just makes him a pedo and it's just sledgehammer stuff it's just ridiculous you know it just comes completely out the blue it leaves out any actual explanation any actual exploration of the two different perspectives completely irrelevant because oh no he was a pedo and and that's and that's it it's just ludicrous you know I, I, i could go on for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours richard kelly has basically set up this fairly unbelievable caricature suburban world with its very simple heroes and its absurd villains and it's it's unconvincing stuff because it's so caricature any interesting ideas and there are occasionally some interesting ideas which are set up from the beginning so like why does donnie darko have emotional problems would seem like a very clear thing that needs to be answered not answered how has gretchen coped with you know her parents things not answered not explores why is patrick self swayze's self-help way of looking at things why is that damaging it could be just not explored no idea it's whiny this film it's shallow and it's expecting to be taken extremely seriously which is probably why it's so popular for six formers and when you're a bit younger do you know what i mean because that's exactly how you feel you know but anything other than that is just atrocious to watch instead it papers over these glaring cracks in it with there's a couple of good songs a far better cast than it deserved and a lot of sci-fi bullshit in place of an actual mystery but i'll i'll definitely come back to that a little bit later i'll come back to story and uh the mystery later yeah, the okay. characters are terrible well there you go so that's some pretty damning stuff from the prosecution gav why 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 indeed gav come on answer me some of that please let me hear your defense <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna ask something then no, no just no, why no, no. Um, okay can i just ask Bruce a question quickly uh, alex did you like the film brick 
Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> what, why? I just remember you absolutely loving Brick in sixth form, which was around about the same time that Donnie Darker came out, and that was also like a sort of emo <laughs> emo yeah, film. Ro- I mean, Ro- 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 my wife ruined that by when I showed her. She said, hey, "It's quite emo, isn't it?" She, she ruined <laughs> Brick has far more to it than Donnie Darker. So I'd, I'd like to argue, actually, that Alex has got this all wrong, to be fair. And that all of these characters that Richard Kelly has, has written are really kind of nuanced and layered as well. And not every character has to be, oh, hey, look, this guy is the bad guy. And look, this guy is a good guy. It's not black and white. Life isn't black and white. Uh, I'm going to go into a bit more detail about that in, in a minute. But I just want to talk in a, a bit of detail about the actual characters themselves. I think Jake Gyllenhaal here, contrary to what Alex was saying, is absolutely brilliant in this i think this is the perfect platform to springboard gyllenhaal into the hollywood a-list i think he's absolutely brilliant as the titular character he's moody and intense but he's also very funny and flawed as well alex you said that we're not given any sort of insight into what his problems are i think there are like you when you look at the surroundings you look at this sort of really perfect suburban um surrounding that he's got everything's really you know it's all crystal clear and everything everybody's always smiling and happy but when you actually look deeper it's not like that's a bit more sinister even his relationship with his parents there's a scene where he's in the car talking to his dad and his dad doesn't even know the name of the counselor that he's going to see his dad is sort of like having a conversation with him but not actually acknowledging that he's actually in the car so so much so that his dad nearly runs over somebody because he's so disengaged from the conversation and there's just like little subtle hints like that would show why he might be feeling like this why he might be anxious and why he might have uh, mental health issues uh, talking about mental health issues i uh, think that gyllenhaal was absolutely great uh, in this in this um, role i think that a lesser uh, actor may have given a sledgehammer performance may have thought right okay this this character supposedly suffers from um, uh, schizophrenia so I'm going to kind of play it like this. But he, he doesn't, he never kind of goes into a stereotype. He never becomes a caricature. Instead, he delivers a very layered performance of somebody with schizophrenia. I also read that Gyllenhaal used a strategy of really blinking to enhance his creepiness in some of the scenes. Uh, I think that, you know, he did a lot of kind of method work with this to try and give his character some like deeper understanding. I think there's a perfect blend of sort of paranoia, of teen angst and of quirkiness as well. It's not like he's not one character throughout. He's many facets of different personalities. And I think that's, that's good because, I mean, how, how many of us here can say we were this type of person when we were when we were that age, we were just, you know, funny or we were just caring or we were just angsty or we were just angry. We were a blend of loads of different things because, you know, it's a difficult time for him, especially the place that he's living, especially with hormones, especially with his mental health issues. He's so, he's feeling so many things. And I think the way Gyllenhaal portrays it is actually quite good for a, a young actor to, to show that many different layers of different personalities. And I think it does a really, really good job. Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal, you, you didn't mention there. I know she's only got a short role, but I just wanted to say, I, I think that their interactions are absolutely fantastic. I know that they are real life brother and sister, and I think that's one of the reasons that Kelly hired her. But this, some of the backbiting and the comments that they say to each other, it just feels so genuine to me. It feels really, really funny as well. And I know that obviously that's from like years of living together, but their dialogue, it always is like a kind of spark of humor in the, in the film. And I think it was, it, you wouldn't have got that with any other actress, I don't think. Um, 
Mary McDonnell and Holmes Osborne as Donnie's parents, as I said, very well cast. They constantly flip between these caring, loving parents to these apathetic, keeping up appearance sorts. You never know how they're going to react. It always depends if there's anybody else there. When they're with the PTA, it's kind of like faux enthusiasm, and you know they're kind of, they don't know whether to be outraged by some of the stuff that they're hearing or whether to kind of stand up for what they believe. They always kind of just fall back to the wayside. They never know how to confront um, the airline when the jet engine falls through the roof. They're just kind of constantly always on the fence. And I think what what it's saying here is that if they would have been a bit more determined and if they would have shown a bit more support or a bit more attention to Donnie, then he might have been in a better state. Uh, but I think that they're very well cast in those roles. Jenna Malone, I completely disagree with, with, with Alex there once again. I think she gives a great restrained performance as Gretchen. We find that um, she experienced a, a horrific event when she witnessed her father murder her mother. And I think any lesser experienced actor would have absolutely hammered this emotional turmoil home. They would have constantly been referring to it. It would have been shown in their face. But with this, she casts a more like kind of quiet figure who's kind of battling with an inner turmoil. I think she d- delivers it very well. It's kind of, she's trying to hide it, but she's, but she can't in, in times. I think she delivers a very, very subtle performance that was very difficult to do. And finally, I just wanted to talk about Swayze. I, I, I completely disagree. Obviously you said that you think the performance is good, but the character I think is very, very well written. I think he is a revelation in this Patrick Swayze because up until this point, everybody just knew him as a sort of like Hollywood heartthrob or maybe an action movie star but with this he delivered a very powerful performance he was sort of this creepy plastic fake enthusiasm which i think perfectly reflected the town itself it's like this outer perfect veneer but when you actually dig deeper there's a more sinister inner kind of uh, meaning there i think when you were saying oh he's actually trying to help he is in a way but he's trying to be very black and white about it and he's very two-faced he's saying right it's either this or it's either that and once again just like Donnie Darko's character things aren't black or white there's lots of different shades of grey and he's trying to say life should be lived and all these emotions should be experienced and you can't just lump them into two things and when you were saying about not sledgehammering at home I think that was brilliant if this would have been like another type of film and Patrick Swayze's character was going to be a paedophile I think it would have been constantly referenced throughout there would have been some like knowing glances or some like kind of really creepy eye movements or licking of the lips or something sinister that would draw our attention to his character and know that he isn't who he is however this just comes completely out of the blue it's like okay we've got this character here then when donnie burns down his house you know there's there's a hidden dungeon in there or it's it you know that that it for me was so out of the blue it was a real twist and it's like okay yeah well people aren't perfect you know and not everybody has to be this guy is a villain right from the get-go we know that no it's actually saying well people can appear perfect just like this town it can appear normal natural good it can be absolutely perfect but underneath we don't know there, um, there's probably millions of people just like patrick swayze's character who appear absolutely perfect and loving and brilliant on the outside but when you actually delve deeper is much more sinister background and context to that so i think that he does an absolutely fantastic job of bringing this whole array of characters into the film and carrying essentially what is a very convoluted plot through very good performances. Okay, well, um, so what I've taken from that is actually that you guys do agree on on a couple of things there, and that's that the acting was actually 
uh, Swayze in particular was was a, did a very good job. Oh no, I, I wouldn't say a very good You're job. Sure? I, I, no, I'd, 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 I'd paraphrase you here, and I'd, I'd say <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd say the the cast like I, I, the characters are paper thin and terrible. The cast aren't. I, I, I'm not going to say yeah. the cast are great, but, but they're, they're not they're not terrible. So, so what I've actually written down is what you said is that the cast is better than the film deserves. Yes. I've got that written down in quotes. That's, that's okay, what so what I'd like to do is go over to the um, some character witnesses here. So um, convoluted pro- plot was actually, um, you know, that was quoted from both both guys there. So, But that wasn't the main point of, of this part. We're talking about characters. So Alex reckons the characters are not developed or explored in the slightest. Um, Gav thinks the opposite. He says you don't need to have everything just sledged. It doesn't have to be force-fed to you. There's all of the signs are there for the you know the main characters. Donnie Darko, everything about him is actually there to be read if you're willing to watch it. And Alex is saying it's not there at all. It's just for some reason he's he's got depression and he's he's going to a to a shrink, and you never know any more of that. So what I'd like to know is. Is is that an issue? I'm going to throw this one to Joel, if that's all right. Well, when um, we had this film, I, w- I actually did a little bit of research on it because for me, I kind of pr- uh, compared it a little bit to Prometheus, not to sound that in a bad way, but the fact that it asks you kind of so many questions and when the film ends, it, it doesn't really answer any of them. Um, and apparently um, the director's cut is completely different to the theatrical release. The director's cut actually answers a hell of a lot more questions. And one of the things that I thought the first time I watched it was that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character was mentally ill and perhaps this was all in his head. Um, But in the director's cut, um, when he goes to see the psychiatrist, um, she actually actually tells him that the pills that he's taking are placebos, uh, which kind of lends itself to the theory that actually he isn't mentally ill and all the stuff that's happening is actually real. Um, and it, 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 it's when you kind of see the director's cut that you kind of see almost how, you know, it, it was meant to be. And for me, that, that was just a, a very strange thing to, so in that, to have. In that, so in that sense for you then, do you, you're on Alex's side there, that there's so many um, questions I, that are just not... Well, I'm, I'm not that, that much used, to be honest, because I think this film... <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. Can I just say that I will be covering this in my second point okay, as well. well, we'll and it's primarily about the characters. Yeah, the, no, the, this, this film, I think, appeals to a certain bunch of people, to be honest <laughs> with you, and, and I am not that person. But no I, do, I do think um, what Gab said about the characters is true, but... Um, yeah, I did agree with a lot of a lot of what Alex said as well. So yeah, a little bit kind of little 50, on both. 50, yeah. Okay, no worries. And then this one to you, then Dave. So just back to this sledgehammer hitting home of characters. Um, the, the there seems to be a lot of characters touched on here. We have got the main characters, the main family. Um, are they dealt with you know respectfully enough? Is there enough of them there to uh, to really get hit home? Are they de- are they developed enough? Can you? Yeah, I've got to say, I'm, I'm edging towards Gav ever so slightly on this one, I think. Um, I think there's some characters which are poorly written and underdeveloped, but I think there's a few that actually are, are better written than you give them credit for. Um, Gav mentioned Mary McDonnell, who, who plays Donnie's mum yes. in this, and I actually thought she gives the best performance of the film. I think there's, a, and I don't know whether it was down to her or, or Kelly's direction, whatever, whatever it was, who devised this uh. character, it was down to her. Okay, he's taking everything. <laughs> Kelly's not allowed to have anything on this one. But um, I think she actually does a really good job. This is, I remember a stark moment at the end where after, spoiler alert, Gav warned you, Donnie dies. 
and his body's being taken out of the house and the family are all stood on the lawn and it pans across the dad and the sisters in floods of tears, you know, completely inconsolable. And the mum's on the end, stood away from the rest of the family, just apathetic face, completely no emotion, smoking a cigarette. And it just, it does catch you off guard. It's like, well, what? Yeah, what does she I, I wasn't know? expecting that. Right. I was not expecting that. And it's like, what is going on here? And it's just, and it's, it's a very, so there is more to these characters. There is a very yes. thought, well thought out. Okay, so that, well answers, sort of so that answers my question there is that there's a lot there that isn't force fed to you. You've actually mm. got to watch. Okay, that's okay. I go with that. So from there, that's, that's plenty to think about. I can see how angry you are, Alex, and you're going to get a chance to address the problem. He's swearing on me under yeah, his breath. No, this, yeah, this is, uh, this is a new side to you, Alex. I really, really want. hate Donnie Darko. <laughs> uh, so I'm, let's go for a defence, please. Let's start there. Okay, so I'm just going to give a little bit of an overview about the general sort of film, because I think you wanted to talk about the time travel, did you? Just the general plot mystery. Oh, general plot. Play, okay, so the mystery of it, yeah, okay. So I'll try and cover some of that now. Uh, so this film, I think, is not just a cool classic, but it's a perfect blend of paranoia and excitement shown through the American suburban lifestyle. Uh, the film follows, just a brief overview, Donnie, who, after missing being flattened by a jet engine falling on his bed due to sleepwalking, is befriended by a giant rabbit who tells him the world is going to end in 28 days. Now, just reading that out, it just sounds absolutely bizarre, but it's, there's so much more to it. It's so beautiful story, to be honest. And it's told against the backdrop of the 1988 presidential candidacy race, and uh, it's told through a protagonist who takes medication for paranoid schizophrenia. Um, so as the audience, at the beginning, we don't really know what to believe. We don't know if the images presented to us are all hallucinations from Donnie's fragile mind, or whether the fallen jet engine has been created via a rupture in the t- space-time continuum or whether Donnie is actually predicting the future. I mean, we don't know any of this really until the film goes on. Um, Now, I, similar to what Joel was saying before, I watched the director's cut and it was so much more detailed, to be honest. But what I liked about the original is that I didn't feel it was like Prometheus. I think the questions that it asked weren't sort of like uh, very obvious, like, well, hang on, who's he? What's he just done? Why have they just done this? It was sort of things that I think have been put there for fans to debate. I, I think that's the reason that maybe the producers took it out well hang on was it all in his head was it not in his head who was frank you know they're all kind of just things that we can talk about as an audience and appreciate but when you watch the director's cut a lot more of that is explained as the film goes on donnie becomes convinced he is able to um, to or he has actually traveled through time uh, at this point he obtains a thesis on time travel which explains all about the primary and tangent universes which isn't really covered i don't think in the original and um, donnie is explained to be a living receiver uh, at the epicenter of the tangent universe and because of this in a way he is sort of <laughs> you're just shaking your head I, I take it you did much of the director's cut i did i did um so so all of this comes through the little kind of pieces of text that we read through the um the, the book uh, uh, we, we've kind of things that are shown to us at the beginning we don't kind of relate to uh, the time travel so stuff like Donnie using telekinesis increased strength sort of stuff like that at uh, the beginning Donnie doesn't isn't aware of that he's travelled through time and he doesn't realise that he's in a tangent universe or that he has these responsibilities but as the film goes on he realises this um, it, and it all kind of comes to a head during the final moments when tragedy strikes and Gretchen is killed. The identity of Frank the Rabbit is revealed. And at this point, Donnie has to make a heartbreaking decision to collapse the tangent universe that he's in and to stay in bed when the jet engine falls on him, thus saving Gretchen. Uh, and 
he also, with that, he decides to just leave the suburban lifestyle as it is. So all the things that we've seen before, Patrick Swayze being outed, um, his relationship form with Gretchen, none of that actually happens and it changes reality as we know it. Sorry, Alex is just shouting at the sky right here. But <laughs> I, th- I actually think the time travel elements in this film are incredibly well thought out because uh, when you when you see time travel films, sometimes they ask the question and they don't really answer it. Now with this, you can actually tell that Kelly has made a detailed sort of plot line and he knows exactly what is going on. I mean, I don't know what that was like in the original one, but in this director's cut, I thought it was incredibly detailed and well-written debut piece for somebody, to be honest. I mean, and this was his debut. Mm. And you can obviously tell that a lot of thought and effort has gone into it. Now, I know what Alex is about to say. He's just, he's pursing his lips now, right? But the thing is, is that, say what you want about Kelly's subsequent projects. I will about Southland Tales yeah, or about the box. But the yeah. thing is, is that they're not on trial here. We're talking about the man's debut piece, which I think is incredibly well thought uh, subject. Uh, he touches on subjects of science and religion, morality and existence against this eerie backdrop of suburban America where everything is perfect and nothing's ever out of place. The backdrop intensifies the tension that is felt throughout um, because as the audience, we're always doubting this perfect veneer. Kelly asks a lot of questions and I will admit that not all of them are answered. But as I said before, this isn't really in a pretentious way. This is in a way that evokes debate amongst fans. And to add to all of this, Kelly picks the absolute perfect soundtrack for this uh, with features Echo and the Bunnymen, Duran Duran. It just perfectly encapsulates the time. So I think this is an incredibly well-written debut piece that is probably better explained during the director's cut, but also really kind of a good film to watch if you if you don't watch that version okay okay thank you and now i'm gonna yeah. let you have your second go thanks man the, the director's cut is really shit like, I, <laughs> <laughs> i've okay, watched both okay. I've watched, sorry yeah, man yeah. i've just I've got so much in my head it's hard to, it's hard to start uh, this is just pure emperor's new clothes territory it's just is there something there or isn't there that there isn't there really really isn't anything there uh, you know gav was saying we can't talk about southland tales in the box i don't think that's quite fair i think you know, the big debate about Donnie Darko is, is there anything there or is it all just imaginary nonsense that's meant to, with a veneer of profundity put over it so it's kind of got something more to it. And the thing about Southland Tales and the boxes, it just shows that Kelly has absolutely no profundity whatsoever. He has no insight. He has no good stories. And Donnie Darko's the same. It's, it's much better than those other two, but it obviously doesn't have any real point to it whatsoever. You know, the director's cut... You know, I can't believe, you know, Gav was talking about this tangent universe, manipulated living. This is just made up nonsense. It's just absolute garbage. This is stuff that could be in a poor episode of Star Trek, you know, to like, to wrap up a a plot point. You know, this is not high films. And when you mix this with this idea that Gav's saying, which again, I don't agree with, that we've sort of got this look at, you know, American society today, that this is some look at what it's like to be middle class in suburban America... And you're mixing it with wormholes and just nonsense. I, I just don't get it. You know, this is, there is nothing there. You know, it, it does a very good job at making it seem like. And again, I do agree with what Dave was saying before about, you know, Mary McDonnell is very good in this. Like, she is. And, and like, I like that. I do, I do actually like her bit at the tree. You know, she does a very good job. I don't know how this film got such a good cast, you know, uh, but it doesn't save it. You know, the... 
the answers to this, basically, it's, it, it's th- the mystery sets up these questions. Why is the world en- ending in 28 days? Where did the engine come from? And who's the bunny? And why did he save Donnie Darko? You know, again, like I say, these answers are, could be found at the end when you actually figure it out in any poor episode of Star Trek. But it's the only thing that uh, sustains any engagement with an otherwise totally flaccid film. It's very, you can see it's a debut film as well. The way some characters walk into scenes, it's very studenty. It's very much just a character walks into a scene, has a dialogue with another character, leaves the room and walks off. You know, it's very much like what you would have shot on a handheld camera. It's not very good direction. You know, I know it's his debut, but it still it still doesn't hold up. But this film commits the worst crime for me. You know, it sets up this huge mystery, and I would say actually it sets it up fairly well. Uh, right at the beginning, you know, well, this good bunny mask. Why is he? What, what's this time limit? You know, that's a very interesting premise. But it does this worst thing. It doesn't explain it at the end at all. And why doesn't it explain it? Because Richard Kelly didn't have a fucking clue. Like, he just didn't know what to do with it. That's why, in the director's cut, he had to start putting in these really not well done. It's very... Obviously, someone said it doesn't make any sense, Richard, and he just went back and pasted in these bits of text that, like, (laughs) sort of are meant to explain in between chapters. It's not artfully done at all. It's, 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 It's pretty awful. You know, a little ambiguity is fine, fine, but literally nothing is solved. And the, the ending is where this should have all come together. You know, instead we get this absolute guff about wormholes and time travels, you know? Uh, Gav was saying that the way Donnie makes decisions, I don't, I think it's a different film. It's almost like we watched a different film. Um, it would make so much more sense for, 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 to have an actual reason for Frank to have saved Donnie Darker right at the beginning. But the, the ending is just as flat as a pancake. You know, um, we have this very weird scene when the, at the beginning when Gretchen comes to the ha- uh, Halloween party and says, I'm really worried because my uh, dad might be being beat up by my... my um, no, sorry, my mum might be being beat, beat up by my stepdad. Donnie responds by getting an erection and then they have sex, which seems like a very odd scene to me, to be honest myself. But then uh, they fly off. Uh, Donnie Darko, for no reason, gets attacked by tights-wearing bullies, like I said before. For no reason, Gretchen gets run over. Donnie's really barely spoken to after the film, so I'm not really that bothered at that point. Frank the Bunny Man is then revealed, finally. This huge, big reveal. Frank the Bunny Man, there he is. What's going to happen? And for no reason, literally no reason whatsoever, Donnie Darko blows his brains out. Was like, he just run over his girlfriend? <laughs> like, it was an act, clearly an accident. Why has he got the gun and we just lose any sympathy with this Because he knows that character. he has to do that because Frank is... Why does he have to do it? Because Frank tells him in, in, in the cinema. Yeah, that's what it, happens. He's setting something up, so I can't remember. No, it does, no, no, there, sorry. There, there, there is a reason. There is, there is no reason it, it he is, shoots it, It's setting up the end, uh, the, the collapse of the tangents. So Everything what, needs to come full so circle, what, so he what, needs what to shoot does, Frank. What does him shooting him change? I can't remember, but if, no, if, know, you, if you do nothing. look at it, there's a yeah. re- there, no, no, there is like no, it's some okay, type of answer, it's answer it. some type I, I, of insurance I will, I will policy. You, I will answer you right. So, so the thing is, is that this is a tangent universe, right, which is very, very unstable, and it eventually is going to collapse. But if everything continues as it as it is, it, it will um, it will become more unstable, and it will affect the normal universe. So what he has to do is close the tangent universe. And the way that he does that is bring everything full circle, which includes shooting Frank or, you know, damaging his eye and killing him and then making the jet engine fall. Okay. Well, it, for me, I just thought, well, Donnie's a prick. Just because like, you don't you understand it doesn't mean no, it's a no, bad no. film. No, no, The only reason you understood it as well is because it's got those ridiculous bits where it's just pacing text. In. Anyway, uh, the Roberta Sparrow character says there's no time, apparently. And, you know, Gav says he makes this decision to close the Tangent Universe. He just drives to a random hill and sits on his car, is transported back in time, 
giggles in his bed for literally no reason whatsoever until he's the only, accepting his fate. The only good thing in this entire movie happens and he's crushed by a jet engine, right? That's the best point of this film. It makes literally no sense. It resolves none of the mystery. And all Gav is talking about is some Star Trek guff about tangent universes and wormholes. It doesn't make any sense and doesn't relate at all to all that stuff about high-minded, fluting society nonsense. Sorry, I'm out. No, no, it's good. Oh, Thank you. Well, okay, so... If nothing else, we've promoted a good debate here. Um, somebody help me out a little bit. Okay. Um, so many questions, but no answers. That seems to be there. The thing I need to ask, right, I'm going to ask the character witnesses here, the witnesses. We are putting on trial the Donnie Darko cinematic release, mm. is my understanding, and not... The director's cut. Well, hang on. A, I that isn't specified. Check. And B, I don't think watching either one takes it away. I mean, the second one gives you a bit more detail, but you can still pick up everything that I've just said by watching the first no, one. Because no, most no, of the stuff can't. Alex was saying... Why, why did he make a director's cut then? No, the director's cut was the thing that came first. And then he had to shorten it down for the studios so so that, that, that's what happens most of the time with director's cuts well, how about you have, you have how a about long Captain version Angry just keeps quiet two seconds let me finish my question how <laughs> dare <I'll take laughs> if anything that made him Captain Angrier I'm on steroids here mate you're, you're, you're poking the bear here yeah. and um, my question was does it matter are they the same are they essentially the same film and would it matter to me if I've not seen the director's cut I'm going to use my old fallback and talk about Roger Ebert for a second, who is one of my most revered film critics. Um, when the original studio release came out, which was the edited one, yep. he gave it two out of four stars. So yep. it was average. It was yep. all right. When the director's cut came out, he bumped it up another half a star. Okay. That's all. So Just another half a star. So I wouldn't say So it doesn't matter it. so much. The, the film is essentially the same. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't so there say there's too Gav, much Are you happy now? I, I am finished happy. my question. I am happy. And it has answered it suitably for you. All right, so... I mean, right, the, the, the thing I is, I don't know where to bro- go with this. It's such a tough one. I'm going to, like, rather than even fire out for another character witness, sorry, guys, I want you to do a closing statement and let me try and go from there. And just maybe I'll have a quiet discussion with the <laughs> character witness uh, once I've heard some closing statements. Close I think room. an extra minute might help Fair out. Because we've definitely yes. got to show up, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so who would like to go first? Should we go for a prosecution first? Yep, yeah, fine. Cool. All right. You have got 60 seconds starting now. Pure Emperor's New Clothes stuff. There's not even any style to this substance. There's, there's nothing there. A good, a good cast, ridiculous characters. Richard Kelly has no vision. You know, the, he, he has to use these terrible plot devices of just like saying things happening for a reason, talking about destiny, talking about these profound things. This is a six-form film. There's nothing more to it than that, you know? It wants to be taken so seriously and yet offers absolutely no insight into anything whatsoever. It, it could have been good. If it had a few more ideas, it might have had something, but it doesn't. It has a really good cast, which I think was down to Drew Barrymore being the producer. But apart from that, I, I just... I've always hated this film because it wants to be profound it pretends to be profound and yet it has absolutely nothing to it whatsoever Ooh, right in uh, just on the 60 seconds well done well done sir and now for the defense you have got 60 seconds starting 
No. Life, love and time travel are told across the perfect fake plastic backdrop of suburban America, where everything is perfect but has a sinister core. This is an incredibly well-written debut film that is expertly told by... Uh, it's, it, told by a fantastic cast that includes Gyllenhaal or Swayze basically putting everything on the line and showing that not everything is black and white. Bruce's arguments that, you know, this is a, a bad film because of what he wrote afterwards. Look at Jonathan Glazer, Frank Miller, Kevin Costner. They had great debut films and poor follow-ups. But I'm saying that for a debut film, whether you watch the cinematic release or the director's cut, this is an incredibly original, well-written film about time travel that's also very sort of poignant and engaging, and I think no matter which version you watch, it's a classic. Excellent. Good defence. Two, two, so. two very good uh, closing statements there, guys. Thank you what very you much. What are you laughing at? Anyone that Frank Miller and Kevin Costner? Just because they're a little different on his outline tales in the box are a little different. <laughs> you tell that to the postman, mate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So, thanks very much. Right, so... It, do we have a quiz so I can just uh, collect some arguments? Do we have something to uh, well, ease the tension in the room? We've got a bonus today. We've got sort two of. Yeah, due to a communication breakdown between okay. me and Joel, we wound up with two different quizzes. Double a quiz. <laughs> so, uh, I'll, how, how different a quiz are they? Very different by the sound. I don't know Joel's and Joel doesn't know mine, but okay. from, we, after a brief discussion, they're pretty different. This is teamwork for me, Dave. This is our teamwork. We wind up with something yeah, completely different and no communication, but I'll let Joel go first if he's, uh, okay. if he's ready. Um, okay, so mine's split into two parts. We've got five questions each. I couldn't think of good names, but the first five questions are on rabbits, and I've called this one Rabbit Downey Jr. Um, so the first question, uh, the white rabbit in Alice in Wonderland often complains about what? Uh, being late. Being late. Being late. Being late. Correct. Uh, Beatrix Potter owned a rabbit called Peter, true or false? True. True. That is true. He... He was his second pet. The first one was called Benjamin, who was the inspiration for Benjamin Bunny. Hair, second pet. Shut up, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey <laughs> Mouse and who else were the first two animals to get a start on the Walk of Fame? Uh, True. No, no uh, Roger Rabbit. Bugs Bunny. Oh, sorry. Oh, Bugs yeah, Bunny. So yeah. Dave said Bugs Bunny. I said Roger Rabbit. Yeah, Bug, Bugs Bunny. I said True, so... I <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Dave, Dave was right. It is Bugs Bunny. Um, which, remember the theme here is rabbits, so which movie took the most expensive movie ever made title from Rambo 3? Roger Rabbit. Who framed Roger Who Rabbit? Roger Rabbit. Mm. True? Yeah, true. Yeah. Who framed Roger <laughs> Rabbit? Uh, this one's a 50-50, I doubt anyone actually knows for sure, but Thumper is famous for tapping which of his feet? Ooh, left. Left. Right. The back one. <laughs> it is it is left well, well done, well done guys. I just wanted to be contrary <laughs> uh, and this next kind of set of five questions is about cult films and again I couldn't think of a title so I went with the cult film quiz open brackets Superior shit. Close bracket. Hey! <laughs> Ouch! It's not even a cult film. I, I can't it is wait. a cult film, actually, mate. It's in the it's in the fifty greatest cult films. Of it's, all also, it's also in the fifty greatest horror films. Ever okay, made. so uh, and the AFI uh, uh, on the on this on the subject of Suspiria, <laughs> Argento thought about suicide for a few days after the release of Suspiria <laughs> because it was we so bad. True or false? True. False. You probably shouldn't. I'm not even going to answer gonna this. Uh, True not, or false? You got answer. It's probably false because there was so many people like you didn't realise how brilliant it was it is completely true oh wow Um, I hope you feel happy with yourself then for laying it in (laughs) Uh, disgusting what's the what's the shit horror company called Tremo Tremo Uh, Tremo 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 
the highest rated film, Cannibal the Musical, in which the sole survivor of an ill-fated mining expedition Trey Parker t- and Stone. T- tells how his taste for gold was replaced by that of human flesh, rated how high on IMBD. This is the h- highest rating... Five point one. No, I, 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 I reckon, I reckon the top of the Avenger has got to be higher. No, it's not. Five, it's five point one. Five uh, I, I don't reckon it's well received. Maybe three point five. Five point six. Seven point two. Wow. wow, that can be first on our trauma list, mate. Uh, Toxic yeah. Avenger is six point something. Um, okay, so the idea for Nightmare Before Christmas came about when Tim Burton had so much absinthe one Christmas Eve that he started to hallucinate and tried to take over his family's Christmas dressed as a skeleton, true or false? Well, I want it to be true. False, because I, I, I want you to have made that. <laughs> uh, I'm yeah. going to say false. I'm going to say false as well. I'm right. sure there were like illustrations he did as a kid. Uh, it, it was false, but the actual reason uh, was that he went into a store one day and in America apparently they prepare for Christmas really early and they kind of melded all the Halloween and Christmas decorations together yeah, right. uh, like and that's house. where that's where his idea came from so Queen did the soundtrack for Highlander in 1966 and they've only done two movie soundtracks what was the other one? Flash Flash Gordon, Gordon. Flash Gordon correct and this one is a Donnie Darko question. So Ooh. Mark Wahlberg was offered the role of Donnie, huh. but wanted to play him with a with a lisp to which the director refused. True, true, true. Sounds true. as though false. Sounds as though Kelly had it all planned Again, out. I hope you made that up. Yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it is is another bit of truth for you. Do you know the first actor that they approached for you, who was very old at the time and turned it down because of his age? Sean Connery. <laughs> he said there, w- there wasn't enough misogyny in it and he walked oh, away alright oh, all right. one at a time Vince, Vince Vaughn Vince Vaughn yeah wow wow that would have been different yeah. anyway right. anyway thanks Joel thanks Joel quiz yeah. two cheers quiz man two. Yeah, quiz two quiz two again <laughs> we're going over time anyways <laughs> um, basically I noticed that this is the uh, the third outing for Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal to make a film together so in this quiz what I want you to do based on higher or lower tell me about the following siblings have they made more films than their predecessor as we're okay. going along okay, yeah, yeah. so it's something I'm calling oh brother why won't you make a film with me um. <laughs> <laughs> and I warn you now some of these siblings you might be surprised are zero so be on the lookout okay. just just when you think you got a one it can go lower okay. so like I said Jacob and Mike Gyllenhaal did Donnie Darko A Dangerous Woman and Homegrown next uh, siblings James and Dave Franco more definitely more yeah definitely more 100% more yeah higher it's lower wow. wow James James and Dave Franco have only recently uh, collaborated on The Disaster Artist that is their first film together well, what about um, that one where it's the end of the world is there a cameo from Dave Franco in that one maybe yeah, yeah. maybe Maybe it didn't come up. It didn't okay, come up okay, on no my worries. search. There, there may be some wrong. This is a really hard quiz to research. So okay. by all means, by all means, some of them may be wrong. But from what I can tell, um, don't, don't pull on bullshit. The <laughs> Next siblings: Rafe and Joseph Fiennes. No. Higher or lower than one? Lower, lower, lower than one. You saying they've done none? Yeah, more. You are correct. Shit. Rafe and Joseph Fiennes have never appeared on cinema together. This is from what I can tell yeah. from my scouring IMDb. Someone may find something obscure. Uh, okay, next siblings, Luke and Owen Wilson. Definitely oh, more. Got to be more than, they they be more than zero. They've done <laughs> quite a few Wes Anderson ones. You'd be right, you'd be yeah, right. It's four. Being in one Wes Anderson film cancels another film out, so they've got minus four. <laughs> Ouch. You don't have to it's, take that, Ozzy. It is four. <laughs> it, it, they've appeared in Bottle Rocket, Royal Tenenbaums, Around the World in 80 Days, and The Wendell Baker Story. Yeah, of the 11 films I've ever seen, 
There's four of Like I say, if you know any more films out there, please write into Gav. Uh, next siblings, Warren Beatty and Shirley MacLaine. More or less than four? Did not know they were siblings. Ooh, less. Yeah. I'm going to say more. Yeah, more, just four. No less, I would say. I'd say Joel and Alex are right. Uh, for all what I could find on the internet, Forever Young is the only time they've appeared on cinema in, in a film you, together. Like brother and sister? Uh, yeah, Shirley MacLaine and Warren Beatty, yeah. Forever missed opportunity. Yeah. Here's another one for you. Uh, next siblings, Chris and Liam Hemsworth. Got to be more. More than one? Yeah. Mm. Definitely more than one. More, more than, than one, one, yeah. Joel? More than one. More than one. Uh, more than one. More than one. You're all wrong. They've never appeared in a film together. Wow. Thor Ragnarok? Thor Ragnarok is Luke Hemsworth. Oh, I said Chris yeah. and Liam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well done, Dave. I said Chris. I was hoping Shister. someone would fall into that heffalump trap. <laughs> fell into that bear trap. So, uh, here we go. More or less than zero. Less than zero would be fun. Uh, Jeff and Bo Bridges. More. Oh, same. Same. More. You'd be right to say more. Come on, guys. Fabulous, Fabulous Baker, Baker boys. boys. Come on. Also, The Last Picture Show, Hidden in America, and The Morning After, giving them a total of four, from what I can tell from the They make some excellent bagels, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of brothers that made it and one that didn't, uh, Dennis and Randy Quaid, more or less than four? Less. Yeah. Less. Yeah, I think less as well. More. You, I'm going with more. I'm sorry, Joel. The right guess them are right. Uh, they've only made one film together, from what I can see, The Long Riders, which I've never even heard of. Next up, John and Joan Cusack. Oh, they've made a couple. More, They're in Gross more. Point Blank together, I think. Mm, so there's more, at least yeah, one. More. I'm going to say... More. Why are you ruining the fours? Oh, and High Fidelity. I think two or three. Three. Four. I'm going to say... I'm gonna Seven. Say I'm going to go with nine. Ten. <laughs> Ten. I think John Cusack has been in every film that John Cusack <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he just puts on a variety uh, of different hats and wigs. Actually, according to IMDb, she's made more films. Oh. There you go, yeah. it's like, and he's committed all of them <laughs> but Joel's actually close with the figure they have made 10 films yes. together well done Joel suck my nuts Gross Point Black <laughs> High Fidelity 16 Candles Warring Broadcast News Martian Child Cradle Will Rock uh, Grandview USA Class and Say Anything wow. next wow. siblings up Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen less Ooh. than that less, less than 10 less than 10 less. quite a few but less well, Charlie Sheen's been in a lot of shit he has Wasn't been in a lot of shit so isn't Emilio. it mainly TV shows though no 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 yeah. I'm just okay. saying less. I'm less. saying less. less. Less, less. You'd all be right to say yes. They've made six films together. We got Badlands, Young Guns, National Lampoons, Loaded Weapon One, Never on a Tuesday, Wisdom, and Men at Work, which apparently is something to behold. <laughs> and finally, we got Dakota and Elle Fanning. How many films do you reckon they Ooh, have made? Less, less than less, less than that. I imagine they're not really big fans of each other, so I'm going to say less as well. <laughs> you just get that all vibe. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, how yeah. come Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez are? <laughs> no idea, actually. Maybe they just got good chemistry, good on-screen chemistry. Uh, yeah, uh, what, what's the number? Six. 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 I'm going to go with Marge. You never fucking listen to just cause, uh, <laughs> he, just, he just picks up at the end and goes, I don't know, can you repeat the question? Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this to a close and just say, yes, you are quite right. They've made less than that. They've only made the one so far. I am Sam, but interesting fact, uh, Elle Fanning played the two-year-old version of a Sister Dakota's character in that oh, film. Oh, wow, okay. But there you go. That that is oh brother why won't you make a film with me? Thanks for both the quizzes. That was yeah, well done, guys. That was good. Yeah, it was tiring, but it was good. So Austin, bringing it back to you, have you decided? So I think decision. I think I have made a decision. Yes. So I was uh, going into this. I was completely undecided. I had genuinely no idea which way I was going to go. I'd seen the film, and um, and I think both of you picked up all of my feelings of it, but based on just how long we've been going for this, I'm really sorry. I think that shows that this is a film with enough 
to debate. No, it, it just shows it that it really, fucking, this, it really fucking doesn't. <laughs> and I know that's really rallying you up, don't, but don't I just do this, feel Aussie. like there's so you much going on. You haven't said it yet. On. Don't do it yet. Aussie. Let them speak. Yeah. Let the man speak. Order. I'm sorry, man. I feel like I feel like there's so much to go into. No, there's not. I think it's a. Uh, I think it's a hit. No. Well, thank you very much, Aussie. Uh, so let's just have a little bit of genuine opinions here, Alex. I can't speak. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, what was your genuine opinion? Uh, just, I really, really hate the film. Oh. Uh, there's just nothing to it, and I, one day I will be vindicated. <laughs> Man, it's a real Suspiria moment for you right here, isn't it? Sorry. Okay, so uh, my genuine opinion is that I pretty much agree with everything Alex said. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Yeah, man, I did not. Just keep me talking for like an hour. I did not like the film. I did not like the film at all. There's nothing to it, is there? No, but you know what? It makes me feel so much better knowing it's got on the hit list. <laughs> you hated it so much. Oh, right, yeah. I'm not even fussed about the fate of the film. I've just got Tree of Life flashing through my head right now. <laughs> so you, you, you all really don't like me, right? <laughs> well, it's a toss-up between you and the rest of them, to be honest, mate. Um, okay, so, yeah. Well, thank you very much, uh, Austin, for having a very unbiased uh, judging role there. Um, okay, now we're just going to play a quick game of higher or lower. So, Donnie Darko, is it higher or lower than our previous film that we put on trial prometheus before you say it prometheus was 7.0 <laughs> out of 10 thank on IMDb. you gav that's all we ever asked for yeah, yeah. fucking yeah. hell it's only taken a year to get that information out here <laughs> exactly I, yeah, actually. I, you know it, it, that is actually this is this before is, you uh, get angry i'm gonna go with higher i'm gonna go lower. Just gonna tell i think up. it's got a lot of fans so it's gonna be higher, yeah. gonna be higher they'll higher, have bumped it up i'm gonna say lower, gonna lower okay so prometheus had 7.0 out of 10 Donnie Darko, Alex, you're right. 8.1 out of 10. Wow. wow. Really? Yeah, so that gives us some sort of indication. I think it's got about 90% of Rotten Tomatoes as well. That it's placed on the right list. Ozzy just made a very interesting point as well. By the way, this is essentially our year, our anniversary episode. We are doing this as close to a year as, as the first one was released. So Happy anniversary, gents. Yeah, happy anniversary, I'm not really guys. sure if we're as good as friends as we were back then. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think all of our relationships have deteriorated significantly since we've began this anyway just before we close <laughs> the, uh, the show off it's time, <laughs> it's time for a caption contest so just like every week i take a screenshot of the film and i ask all of our friends and followers on twitter to provide a caption and they could win a chocolatey froglety chocolate treat Okay, so this week uh, I have taken the still of Donny and Gretchen and Frank sitting in the cinema. Gretchen has fallen asleep and Frank's looking over at Donny who's trying to ignore him as if to say, come ahead, mate. And all of our fans and followers have said the following. You guys just got to pick which is the funniest. First one. I'm not going to read that out. The first one is uh, (laughs) the beginning of a new age metal band. Mm. (laughs) Second one. You told me we were going to a costume party. (laughs) <laughs> number three I'm in this movie and I still don't know what's going on that one was even it. slacking it off and he's not having it yeah. uh, next one MCU post credit crowd <laughs> uh, next one the dude behind me is bitching he can't see <laughs> the next one wake up it's coming home and then it, <laughs> a little England flag. So that's very topical because by the time this has come out, yeah. England will have definitely, definitely won the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, uh, number the next one, whatever it is, Bunny. Uh, why didn't you say she snores like a fucking walrus? Um, okay, uh, the next one is. 
Yes, it is another Transformers sequel. Accept it and move on. <laughs> okay. Um, next one. When he said he wanted to experiment by bringing a rabbit to our next date, this is not what I had envisaged. Uh, next one. You said. What had they envisaged? <laughs> I'll tell you after the podcast. Okay, thanks. Man. Equally uh, depraved. I, I, I don't think they mean a real rabbit there. Uh, the next one is you said you were you were down for the Harry Potter marathon. Wake up. Uh, we got another one. Am I. Uh, no, I'm not reading that one. <laughs> Next one. Shut the fuck up, Donny. <laughs> hey, I like that. Yeah. Uh, well, we've got one here saying, I hope you actually send out the chocolate this time. <laughs> so uh, I am waiting for the weather to go. That, uh, these things are just sat in my drawer as like little chocolatey messes. So everyone's going to get genuine chocolates when the weather gets a little bit cooler. <laughs> uh, and the last one we've got here is Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. <laughs> I, I like the big Lebowski one shut the fuck up Donny I quite uh, I, like, I like the MCU closing credits one I like the uh, it's like coming the, home one just because it's topical the coming home one's I like I actually like the uh, the costume party one oh my god you, so split can, down no, the middle no, no, you've got the deciding vote, vote again it's like, that's not deciding vote you've given me four different options well, so yeah, you just got to pick one, one. Option. who do you like the best so what, what, what out of us from yeah yeah I just got to pick one of us I think it's it's shut the fuck up Donny I like the big Lebowski I wouldn't see that that was like a little Olive French something to make me happy Alex has now got a smile for the first time all episodes okay so congratulations to our good friends uh, the Dare Daniel podcast you guys have just won yourselves a lovely Freddo okay so before we close the show just to say we have pulled the next film out of the hat to be reviewed and it is going to be Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon uh, as as always, we've pulled the rolls out of the. What is that? Is that a tiger or a dragon? Uh, bit of both. Bit of both. Make sure. Oh, just getting rid of some phlegm. Yeah. It was, <laughs> okay. a, it was a hidden dragon. <laughs> but we've pulled some um, the rolls out of the hat at random. So in the role of prosecution, we've got Joel. In the role of defense, we've got Brucey. In the role of character witnesses, we've got Dave and Ozzy, and that means I am going to be doing the judging this time round. So, just want to say a massive, massive thank you to everybody who has listened to this show and all of our previous shows. You can catch our future episodes on any podcasting platform or on our website, filmsandtrial.co.uk. Why not check us out on Twitter, at Film Trials. There you can suggest a film for us to put on trial, and we will put it in our hat and eventually get round to reviewing it. While you're on Twitter, why not check out our good friends and collaborators Austin Ray and Winston Sang, our music producer and graphic artist respectively at Aussie Ray and at the underscore quirks. Also, why not check us out on all other types of social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram and YouTube films on trial. So that's it. Donnie Darko has been placed on the hit list and I am made up. (laughs) (laughs) We will be in your ears next week with Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon. Thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) 